I want to read to you a Rambam in the third chapter of the Laws of Talmud Torah. The Jewish people were adorned with three crowns. Keser Torah, the crown of Torah. Keser Kuhuna, the crown of Kuhuna, of priesthood. Or Keser Malchus. There's three crowns, there's three, there's, there's three glories, there's three honors that we have in our nation. Torah, Kuhuna, and Malchus. Torah, priesthood, and the kingdom. Keser Kuhuna Zachar Aaron. If you want to be a Kohen, it's too late. Aaron, HaKohen, Moshe's brother, he became the priest, his descendants became the priest. It's too late for any of us. Keser Malchus, the, the, the crown of the kingdom, that was given to King David. Keser Torah, the crown of Torah. The Keser Torah, the crown of Torah, is there, it's lying, and it's waiting, and it's ready, and it's primed for all of Israel. Whoever wants to come and take it, it's available. Perhaps you may say, says the Rambam, that the crown of Torah is small, and the crown of kingdom, and the crown of priesthood, those are greater. No, that's not the case. Rather, the greatest crown, the highest mark of distinction in our nation is someone who gets the crown of Torah. And the Ram continues, and he gives us three examples. How do we know that Torah has the primacy over anything else? He gives three examples. First of all, the halacha is, if you have a mamzer, a mamzer is a bastard, someone born of a, of a forbidden union, they're the lowest class, they're the pariah, they're the outcasts. No one wants to talk to them. But if you have a mamzer as a tamachacham, and then you have a kohen gadol, a high priest, who's a amaretz, who's a simpleton, which one of them gets more honor? And the Gemara says in, in, in Horius that the, that the tamachacham, the Torah scholar, someone who has the keser Torah, the crown of Torah, they actually have supremacy and primacy before the Kohen Gadol, before, before the high priest. As it quotes the verse, Yikarahim mipninim, the Torah is more precious than pearls. And the Talmud says, what does that mean? It means that the Torah is more precious than someone who enters lifnai ulifnim, i.e. someone who enters in the Holy of Holies, the Kohen Gadol. First example. Second example of, the, pri- of the, pri- the primacy of Torah is, he quotes the Mishnah, the Mishnah tells us that Talmud, Torah, Kanadir Kulam, the greatest mitzvah of them all is the study of Torah, and you can never stop studying Torah, even to do any of the mitzvah, unless there's, there's no other way to fulfill it. And if there's another mitzvah, that there's no other way to fulfill it, you have to be the one to do it, so you're allowed to stop studying Torah, and do the other mitzvah, and come right back to, to Torah study, because Torah study is the most important mitzvah, and finally, the Ram tells us, quoting the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that when someone dies and they have their encounter with God and they have to give the din v'cheshbon, the accounting and the reckoning for all their behavior, what is the first thing that they get asked? The Gemara says in Shabbos that they get asked if you were honest in business. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says the first question, tchilas din adam, is only on words of Torah. Thus says the Rambam, that Torah is the most important thing, the crown of Torah is the greatest crown of them all. Now the Rambam tells us, he goes on to say, how do you get it? This is the most highest, uh, prestigious honor in in the Jewish world, in the whole world. How do you do it? He gives us four ways to go get it. And I think it's superfluous for me to say here that I'm not worthy of giving a hesped, of giving a eulogy on Rav Steinman. But I think it's clear if you read the Ramam's instructions of how to get, how to gain, how to access the crown of Torah, and you compare them 
with the stories that you hear and the stories that you've seen about Rav Steinman, it's abundantly clear that Rav Steinman was someone who is an exemplar, who personified the crown of Torah. So I want to go through the Rambam's four steps, four conditions of how someone gets the crown of Torah. And I'm going to tell you little stories, anecdotes about Rav Steinman to show what he did and how he became the Gadaldar, how he, how he became the leader of the generation. So first the Rambam tells us, what's the first precondition to get the crown of Torah? Lo yasiach daito Don't pay attention to anything outside of Torah. That's number one. You have to have total diligence, immersion in Torah. Number one. Number two. People may say, you know what? I'll have Torah, but I'll also have a really, uh, a, a, a really profitable business ventures on the side. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. But if you want to get the crown of Torah, it's not going to work. You have to choose either Torah or anything else. Number two. Number three. It's about denial of physical pleasure. The Ramam quotes the Mishnah. What's the way of Torah? How do you access Torah? Paschal melech tochal. You have to have the most meager food, just bread and salt and, and water, and you sit on the floor and live a life of pain. And the more pain you have, the greater you can access Torah. Now, of course, for us, we're just starting our lives. But we see, like, to, to, to reach the absolute apex to reach the absolute top, the pinnacle of Torah greatness, it demands a certain rejection, a certain denial, a certain eschewing of Olamaza of this world. There's no, you have to choose which world you want to live and you want to prioritize. That's number three. And number four, the Ram quotes the verse in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, Loba Shemaimi. What does that mean, Loba Shemaimi? Torah is not in the heavens. If someone walks around aloof and haughty, if someone's about Gaiva, if someone is arrogant, if someone lords over other people, someone's in the heavens, the Torah is not the Torah is not in the heavens. Someone like that cannot access Torah. And I think, it's funny, because I'm, I'm reading a little bit about, about Rav Steinman, and I, I've, I've seen him a few times, and it's clear to me that he really exemplified, he personified all these conditions to gain the crown of Torah. So first of all, I was reading stories, and it's it's your eyes pop out. You know, when he was a little kid, he's 14, 15 years old, he's doing nothing but studying Torah. And he, at the age of 15, they called him the Ilui of Brisk, the genius of the city that he lived in, Brisk. And they called him the little, the new Chafetz Chaim. He was the new Chafetz Chaim. Because everyone saw like this was, it was something out of this world. So a, a, a small child, and he's dedicating his life to just studying Torah. And I read also, when, later throughout his life, Every Shabbos, he had the same routine. So what happens on Shabbos afternoon? First, you have a lawn meal, and you fill your belly with lots of uh, sleep-inducing foods, and you take a lawn nap. That's what we do, right? I don't know if kids take naps yet. But once you get a little older, you get appreciation for good naps. Rav Steinman would have a quick meal. He'd run to Mincha. He'd run back home, have Shalashitis, and then he'd go uh, to, the, to base measures to, to study, and study for six or seven hours to the end of Shabbos. I do that every Shabbos. Uh, moreover, I, I remember when I was in yeshiva uh, in Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, three, 13 or so years ago, Rav Shaim was ready to God al-Dar. He was ready to the greatest leader of the generation. And people would go to him. And he's an old man already then. Now he's, he passed away. He was 104. So he was 95 or whatever it was. He was still old. And I remember people going to him and 
Everyone who sat down by him, who wants a bracha, you would say, what are you learning? And it could be anywhere in the Talmud. You look at the, how many, the volumes of Talmud that we have in the back, 73 volumes, right? Anywhere in the Talmud, any, any page, he's there with you. A 95-year-old man. And he'd say, okay, what are you learning? You learning this? Boom. And he jumps right into it and starts asking you questions. People were scared to go to him. Because it can't be that someone who is 95 years old has the burden of the whole Jewish people on his back, probably hasn't studied that tractate in, in 20 years, and he knows it better than you do. You're supposed to be learning it all the time. But he, he developed such a mastery, such prowess of Torah. And how do you, how do you get that? Is there some sort of button you download to get all? No. The first rule to try to get the crown of Torah is absolute, total, and complete immersion in Torah. I remember in 1996 or so, Rav Simon came to America. And that really marked a change. Because previously, his whole life, like he was just studying Torah. That's it. And no one even heard of him. Besides for the Tamil Chamim, the, the Gedol Adar, they, they all knew about him. But he wasn't popular, he wasn't famous, he wasn't out there. That's all he did. And he would say about himself that the only reason why he's going to all these cities, he's going to Mexico and South America and all over Europe and all the United States to go give inspiration, give chizuk to various communities is because he felt that he could no longer have the total dedication to Torah study. His mind was getting a little, you know, little advanced with age. And then he said, okay, I'm going to turn my attention towards matters of the public benefit. So that's number one, total immersion in Torah. Number two, if someone says, I want to become really rich and on the side become a great Torah scholar, you could probably become a great Torah scholar, but you can't become the God Aldar. And I was reading the stories about Rav Shtayim. He came to, he came to Eretz Yisrael, he came to Israel. He spent the war in, Sweet, in Switzerland in a labor camp. And right away, 1945, the war is over. He comes to Israel. And he was living in absolute grinding poverty. He did nothing but, but study Torah. And he, had, he, had, he almost didn't have any food to feed his family. And I read this incredible story about his dedication to Torah study in such conditions. There was once a sefer, a book, a Torah book, that he really wanted to read. But the problem was it probably costed a few liras. It was, it was expensive for him. So what are you going to do? You really want to study the Torah, but you don't have two pennies or two shekels to rub together. What are you going to do? So he went and he, got, he went to the book and he found a, book, a copy of the book. And he, he took his pen and paper, and he just wrote it down verbatim. He wrote down the whole book by himself with his hand. And thought, okay, now he himself has the book, and he copied it. I think it's just a nice little story to show, number one, the love of Torah, especially under conditions of, of such poverty. Uh, of course, most, the third condition of the Rambam is denial of physical pleasure. And this is something that you look at a picture of, of, of Rav Steinman. Any picture you see of him, he looks frail. He looks emaciated. He, he doesn't look healthy. And you, how does someone like this live to 104 and be so sharp? I, I went to visit him when he was in his, uh, he was for sure 95 or whatever. And he was sharp like a tack. You, you meet people, they're 65, they're already, they're, already, they're already losing it a little bit, right? Or, or certainly when they're 80, they're not as sharp as they used to. How does someone who looks so frail and so ill and so weak and so emaciated, he looked like he just came out of the camps. And how, someone has such sharp, acuity and acumen and, and, and prowess and, and, and knowledge and thinking and making decisions for all clients are unbelievable. But I think it's clearly, any of the stories you read, it's clear that he was someone who really minimized his indulgence in this world. 
it's well known that Rabbi, that Rav Shlaim would never sit in the back of a chair. You know, the most simple pleasure of sitting on a chair and leaning back, and you walk into any yeshiva, you see all the people slouched over with their shtender. None of that. He would sit up on his bed or on his chair with a stool, no back. That's well known. But this, I read so many stories about this. I want to share some of them with you, of how he refused to sleep. I read such an astonishing story when he was 11 years old. He had come to a yeshiva. He was so young, but he was so advanced. He was able to join the students that were three or four or five years older than him. And they didn't like the fact that this little kid, he was 11 years old, and he's coming to learn with the 15-year-old kids. How would, how would you feel if someone from three grades below you, he stared, and they, they skipped and they joined you? Yeah. So they wanted to pull a prank on him. So what they do, so they devised, it's not clear from the story, they devised some sort of device. And they put it on his bed. Something that would, I guess it would be like a jack-in-the-box. They would jump out and scare him. They wanted to scare him. So they put something by his bed that would scare him. And two days later, three, nothing. They go back to his room, and they find it's there untouched. So strange. And then they, they start following him. They realize that he goes to base Spanish at night, and he's learning with everyone else. Everyone leaves, and he stays there. And if he's tired, he falls asleep. And then he wakes up and keeps on learning. Like he, he didn't go to bed. He didn't, he didn't even know that there was a prank waiting for him in bed because he, was he wasn't there. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't go there. I read something also fascinating. When he came to Israel in 1945, so the Jewish agency was one of the groups that was trying to settle Jews in Israel. They gave all the immigrants that came a mattress, a thin mattress. All the immigrants that got a mattress. 1945. Rav Steinman kept that mattress until 2012. He used the same thin mattress, flimsy mattress that he got from the Jewish agency. He used it for 67 years. So there's two parts of the story. First of all, you say, wow, he really doesn't want to upgrade to more plush, post-repeated bed. That's the first thing you would say. But my question is, how is it possible that the bed withstood so many nights? Think about it, 67 times 300 and some odd nights. That's a lot of nights. 18,000 nights? I can't even do the math, right? Something like that? Or, or, okay, so I think it's 18,000. Around, around 18,000, 20,000 nights. How is it possible? The answer is he didn't use it. His family testified about him, that he wouldn't sleep, he wouldn't sleep, he would, he would fall asleep in a shtender, and when he wakes up, he's learning, and he falls asleep, because he's tired. And they said in, in yeshiva, he became the, one of the Rosh Hashivas of Panovich, of the big yeshiva in Bnei Brak. And every day, he would give his sheer standing. And he would always be sleepy, always be drowsy. But especially on Fridays. On Fridays, he'd be incredibly drowsy. He would sometimes even fall asleep like, as he's talking to people. And then they found out he never, ever sleeps on Thursday night. He studies the whole Thursday night. And then the next day, can you imagine having to give a lecture to an audience every, when you haven't slept the whole, night, the whole night before? Unbelievable. I think that's an incredible example of someone who really divested himself from this world. Uh, with respect to eating, he would never eat before 3 p.m. You eat breakfast, you want to go on the hearty breakfast? He wouldn't eat before 3 p.m. Uh, moreover, when he was in Panovich, the head of the yeshiva in Panovich, at the Panovich Rav, he had a boy, had a student, whose job was to make sure that Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman got lunch. Because if no one handed him lunch, he wouldn't eat till dinner. That's the way it was. I remember reading that he went to, I think it was Mexico City, or Argentina, or someplace, someplace like that, and the whole plane ride, it was a 20-hour plane ride, and he didn't eat anything until he got to his host's house. So think about it. You know, you're on a plane, and 
you're 98 years old and you're not, eat, you're not eating anything. Just an incredible example of, of, of denial. I was in his house. I went with my brother and my, and my Rosh Hashiva. We went to visit him. And I remember he, he asked, he said Shalom Aleichem to me. And he said, I was, I was so scared. I was a little kid. I was so scared. He said to me, Van Voinstu, which means where do you live? But somehow the wires, the Yiddish kind of crossed in my brain. So I wasn't sure if this means where you live, where you're from. I, I lost track of what was going on. But I remember going to his bathroom. And you could fit his whole apartment. You could fit four of his apartments in this room. Tiny, tiny apartment. But the bathroom was a memorable. If I known I was speaking about it, I would have taken a picture to show you what it looked like. This bathroom, it needed a paint job like you can imagine. The plaster was peeling. It looked like it probably wasn't painted in 60 years. But people couldn't believe it. And everyone came over to him. The students came to him and says, we'll pay for free. We'll paint your house. It's, 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 the people are coming here. You have members of the Knesset coming there. It's not respectful for who you are. We'll do it for free. Not interested. Why are you not interested? So say you have, you have two reasons. First of all, Chazanish said that if you have a really beautiful house, it doesn't look good. You're supposed to be a tamachacham. You're supposed to have such a beautiful house. But then he said more, which I think is a very powerful lesson. Why do you want to paint your house? So he said, after all, how long do we live here? So he lived to 104. But most of us, what's the average life expectancy in America? It's maybe 80 years old or 85 years old. It's going up maybe 90 it's short. It's a small little stint. It's a little stopover, a little touch and go that we have on planet Earth. It's crazy to invest anything, time, money, effort, anything, in making this temporary life more valuable, more nice. You know, no one goes to the, on a train ride and starts scratching off the graffiti. You don't, you don't do it. Right? You don't want to be in a, if it was in your car, then you, would, then you would want to clean it, right? But it's a train. You don't hear for, for a few minutes. It's no big deal. He viewed this whole life, this whole world, everything that we, we think is permanent. It's just, it's just a train ride. It's just, well, why would you want to paint it? You wouldn't do that. You're, you're, you're traveling, and that's it, whatever, whatever you're... So, and the students asked him. The Gemara says, if you have a dira noe, if you have a beautiful house, it's marchiva daltio shal adam. It makes someone's, it broadens their, 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 their consciousness. So he says, yeah, look at my house. It's, it's so beautiful. And I feel great about it in here. And he felt he didn't feel like, he didn't feel like he was giving up something. Uh, he was forfeiting living in a beautiful house. He, he felt his house was, was beautiful. It really was beautiful for him. <laughs> Lastly, I want to talk about his humility. The fourth component of, of getting the crown of Torah is humility. So I remember hearing a story that Rav Steinman, he spoke to his people, and he's like, I don't get it. Everywhere I go, I hear the same song. The Bachim don't know any other song. Like it, it's, it's a playlist. It's going, it's going on repeat. And the reason why is because whenever the God Aldar walks in the room, there's one song that everyone sings. So he, he couldn't imagine why don't they teach the Bachim other songs. There's other songs out there. It's all Yahamim, Ayyamim, Mel. There's other songs. There's got to be other songs, right? He, he, he didn't understand. Like he didn't hit him at all. He wasn't pretentious at all to think that, oh, I'm the God Ladar, and oh, of course you're supposed to sing. This is what you're supposed to do. None of that. I want to read to you a few snippets from his tzava, from his ethical will. Al taspidu oti. Don't eulogize me. Don't write articles about me. Don't put signs about my funeral. Don't announce on the radio or the ram call. In Israel, they have people who go over and announce him when someone passed. Don't do that. All I need is 10 people, bury me in a simple grave, write a simple epithet on my 
tombstone. Don't write great titles about me. Don't, 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 don't abandon Torah. Just, all I need is a million of people, 10 people, that's all I need at my Leviah. It's unbelievable someone who really was the God Laudar, the greatest Jew of the generation, but had no feeling that he was someone super special that everyone should stop studying for. And indeed, what do we see? There were hundreds of thousands of people on, uh, uh, on what was it, Wednesday, uh, by his Leviah, by his funeral. I want to finish with one more anecdote, uh, an example of great, his beautiful Midos. Everyone talked about him. It's amazing. The, the whole Israeli society, the religious, the not religious, everyone, everyone agreed that this was someone really special. And you could see it on his character and his very refined ethical behavior. What well, last story. He would never drink wine or eat meat during the week. That was reserved for Shabbos. That was his policy for decades. One time, his daughter, who was his daughter, uh, or his grandson, they saw a picture that someone had posted, like uh, the Gdolan pictures, of Rav Steinman drinking wine. And he says, wait, wait a minute. If someone took the picture, it obviously wasn't on Shabbos. And if you're drinking wine, you're not supposed to drink wine during the week. What's going on? So he tells them, listen to this. Everyone has to know the priorities. And the highest priority is good mitos. I was by someone's house. and They're, they're my host. And they offer me wine. For decades upon decades upon decades, I have not drank, drunk wine during the week. I'm denying myself. But now I have my host. And they're extending me wine. And it would be rude and improper for me to say no. And therefore, I took it and I drank it. Because that's what's right to do. Just one example of the incredible midos of, of Rav Shtayim of the God Aldar who just passed away. I think we could ask ourselves the question, what do you need to do to become the God Aldar? What do you need to do to become the greatest Jew of the generation? I would say this is maybe a good formula. Take the Rambam's four components of how you become someone who is adorned with the crown of Torah, you add to that beautiful midos, and then you'll become the God Aldar. The Jewish people, we lost a true Gadadar, a true leader of generation, but someone whose life, whose character, whose midos, whose accomplishments, whose Torah greatness, I think, could serve as an inspiration for all of us and hopefully maybe propel us and encourage us that we perhaps as well should try to find a way to access the most precious crown of them all, the crown of Torah.